When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I, wow. I guess I'm done. Wow, look at that. <laughs> yeah. Can't even tease the show. Look at you, Kenny. <laughs> what a pro. <laughs> you're, like, you're like the Carmelo Anthony. You're not, you're not going to pass. You're not going to play defense. I got to tell you, I just stopped caring. I just, I just don't care. When did you start? <laughs> Down to six seconds to go. Butler with the ball. Timberwolves down by one. 20 foot on the right wing is no good. It was short. Loose. And that's it. The buzzer sounds. Butler misses at the horn, and the Nets hang on to win it, 98-97. I've seen him make that pull up a million times, so I trust him in those situations. He's a big shot maker. Uh, he's got good balance. You know, the the play before, you know, we, we back cut and got fouled on that one. So you, you got to trust that you know he'll make the right decision. That's what he saw. I was good with the shot. All right. Judd tapped out late last night. We're in a Petri dish of germs in here. One person gets sick. Everyone gets sick. So Matthew Collar's in today. You'll be sick tomorrow, just so you know. I hope uh, I'm good for next week, though. As long uh, as I can recover for next week, that's for, uh, what's important. For playoff week. Chip I'll, Scoggins is in here. He's going to be sick tomorrow, too. I'll be on the couch all Sunday anyway watching Thanks, I appreciate football, it. So. Yeah. <laughs> and a, Saturday. That's what I'm looking forward to. A 101 fever is what Judd said <laughs> last night. Uh, did you guys have a problem with Jimmy Butler hero ball down one 10 seconds to go last night? 21-foot pulled up with a hand in his face. It's not a very high percentage shot, but no. I don't really have a problem with anything Jimmy Butler does. I defend Jimmy Butler as much as Tibbs does. And Tibbs defends Jimmy Butler like any of us would defend our wives or girlfriends. Like if your if your wife did something really rude to a uh, someone in a restaurant or something, you'd be like, "That's your fault, restaurant. You did this." <laughs> Even if you know she's wrong, you defend her anyway. Sure. I'm the same way with Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Yes, that shot's wrong, but it's Jimmy, so he may he it, may do that. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't see the shot. I got home. Um... Check Twitter, and Twitter was sort of apoplectic about the last second sequence. It is it's, funny, like Wolves Twitter is apoplectic for the first time. Yeah. And it didn't exist 15 years ago, and so now it's just a decade and a half of pent up apoplexion. So I didn't see it, and I, you know, followed Twitter more, and then, you know, learned that Jimmy took a shot. Ideally, I think I would have preferred he drove or shoot it earlier so you have a chance at a second uh, chance, but yeah, but no one. How Butler's carried this team in the fourth quarter all year, or last what six weeks, and what he's meant. You know what? I'm fine with. it. I think my, I guess I don't. I'm not going to savage him because I'm with yeah. Collar. Like the guy has been, the guy has brought relevance yeah. to this basketball town Correct. for the first time in 15 years. But um, I think my rule of thumb for the Kobe's and and Andrew Wiggins for the first four years in Butler, there's only a certain amount of players that are able to play hero ball that are physically able to play hero ball. Yeah. There's not many players who can just rise up wherever they want and get a shot off with a mm-hmm. hand in their face. But just because you can doesn't mean that you should. I mean, like a drive to the hoop or uh, like a pick and roll action of some kind. So it was kind of a bad loss. And then I'm looking at the schedule ahead. And you've got it's, Boston on Friday. Yeah. You've got Cleveland coming up. Monday, you've right? got Houston like four times the rest of the way. Uh, Oklahoma City is kind of figuring it out to some extent. And Hero Ball probably doesn't beat a lot of those teams. So just like they had 26 unassisted baskets in that game last night. Yeah. Um, and they missed a bunch of threes. But I just want to see a little bit more cohesion from this team. Yeah. And that's because you're right. I don't think we, we saw it the last month where, you know, Butler started the season deferring. And then I think he said enough of that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to take over in the fourth quarter. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that's going to be a winning formula against really good teams that they're going to face here in January. So um, I, I'm not going to get up in arms over that shot because he's been so great. But you're right. This schedule is going to get markedly more different, uh, difficult here in January. And, and 
I think they're going to have to find different ways to win than just saying, all right, Jimmy, go win it for us. You know what's funny, though? Like, so... I don't know if you follow the KG era from afar, Matthew Collar, from like the late 90s, 2000s. Yeah. People in this town, the, the one complaint they had about Kevin Garnett the was that he wouldn't take <laughs> yeah. that shot know, for 10 I years. Know, yeah. That he would just, he'd post up and he'd defer to Anthony Peeler or somebody. His, that was his mentality. That was the person he did everything great, but he would kick it out to Terrell Brandon. Right. And you know <laughs> what? I mean, maybe it was, maybe, maybe, I mean, his ability to draw a double team and get an open look okay. for somebody was probably a higher percentage shot. So I, I want to check myself a little when yeah. the Wolves now have somebody who can take that shot, you're going to have to let him take that once in a while. I just didn't like it in that instance last night with 10 seconds. And that was always Flip's defense is that, hey, he made the right basketball play. They came and doubled. He got rid of it to an open guy, whereas we'd all scream and you know pull our hair out saying, you're, you're you know a top 10 player in the NBA. Take that shot. This is your team. Um, and so that's why you are sort of being a little bit, or we're being a little bit hypocritical of your best players. You know, take, But it, I, to me, I think, I would rather see him go to the basket, maybe try to get fouled or create that way. LeBron would do the same thing earlier in his career, but even still now. Like if it's an end of the game, if it's his shot, he'll take it. But if it's not, he's going to pass to somebody else. It's just earlier in his career, he had no one to pass to, and now the team's a little better. Um, it, it is a a play where I've seen Jimmy Butler go to the hoop and have success that way. Because if he draws a foul, then you've got a great chance to tie the game or or something like that. Um, but it's almost like a quarterback who throws into a double coverage yeah. at the end of a game. And you know what? That sometimes turns into a pick. I don't know if you guys would be familiar with any quarterbacks here <laughs> in Minnesota right, who yeah. would try to make yeah. heroic throws. But, I mean, Brett Favre is famous for the interceptions, but yeah. he threw way more touchdowns on those throws yeah. than he did interceptions. It's just some of the picks came in really big moments. And so when it's a guy of that caliber talent, if he does a bad thing, Kobe takes that same shot a thousand times in his career. Jordan takes that shot. They miss him a lot, but they'll make him more than anybody else. And I'm just going to say, okay, that's fine. The other stuff is where I would have the bigger criticism. It's the Brooklyn Nets. They're better, but they're not good. So this is a team that you should have, like you said, a little more cohesion, move the basketball a little bit better. And I think maybe last night I felt like they were missing a Jeff Teague kind of a lot in that game. What did Tyus end up with? One assist? He did. I mean, Tyus, uh, Jim Peep came on our show yesterday, and he brought some real plus-minus numbers. ESPN has this real plus-minus uh, kind of an advanced version of plus minus. And Tyus Jones, even though the boxer doesn't look flashy for him, he doesn't score a bunch of points, that when he's out there, he's one of the top 25 real plus minus players in the NBA. Hmm. I don't know. And, and then Jim Pete went on to say that Pat, he's kind of a Patty Mills comp and that he might not be a starter mm-hmm. who plays 35 or 40 minutes. But if Jeff Teague comes back, I've seen enough of Tyus Jones. It, it shouldn't be like Jeff Teague playing 38 minutes no. and Tyus playing 10 it should be a little bit more of a 60-40 split between those Shouldn't guys. It, I, that's, I think I've said, and I think a lot of people believe, 18 to 20 minutes for Tyus. That should be just sort of a given at this point, right? I think he's proven himself enough. And I know Tibbs initially had the concerns about his defense, and, and I think a lot of people did. But I think he's shown enough that he deserves more than just kind of, you know, minute here or there. He, I think long stretches for him you are deserved. And, and that'll, you know, and I think that would probably make team more effective too. I, I agree with him playing a little bit more, but those plus minus stats, all they tell me is his role is working perfectly. That him in a 10 minute role is going out there and clubbing the other team. Whatever guys they have playing 10 minutes, are, he's matching them up and he's beating them every single time, which is giving you a big advantage. I don't think it necessarily translates to, okay, now they're going to play Boston. Let's have Tyus out there against Kyrie and see how that works out. Yeah, you yeah, know, Because yeah, that- Jeff Teague is playing all their best players all the time, as opposed to Tyus, who I'm sure Tibbs is being very careful when he can about matching them up against certain guys. You know what's actually amazing about last night's game? So the Wolves hit one three-pointer last night. Yeah. They were outscored by 40 points from the three-point line and <laughs> yeah. still almost yeah. won the game. Yeah. I mean, that's so. I mean, it's good and bad in that you you got to find a way yeah. to knock down more than one three-pointer and take more than 11 of them in today's yeah. NBA against a team that's up there just chucking and, and knocking down a bunch. But to get outscored and then find a way to close that gap almost in other it. ways, <laughs> in the paint or at the free-throw line, uh, or just play defense on the other shots that aren't three-pointers is pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, if you... If you told somebody one team's going to outscore them by 40 from three-point, yeah, you're you thinking it's going to be a 50-point blowout or something, right? Yeah. Well, this team, though, that's the one thing that when they get into a playoff series, I would be pretty concerned about is they just do not have snipers. They mm-hmm. have guys who can make threes, but Wiggins he shoots 
low 30%. That's not going to be good enough for an efficiency. They don't have anybody who comes off the bench and just stands in the corner and cans a few. They don't have a big guy who goes out there other than Towns. Towns is good at it, but they don't have a uh, Channing Fry or someone like that who they could stick over in the corner and then you bring a big guy out there with him to shoot the threes. That's where I I think that they're a little bit short and... Maybe Tibbs should have addressed that in the offseason, trying to find a guy. I know their cap situation doesn't make that easy, yeah. uh, but I mean that that's something that they really miss on you know, this team. You should be able to find a guy before the trade deadline. And, and like you said, you're not talking about a, finding a starting player. Yeah, right. How about somebody who can play eight or ten minutes, two different stints off the bench, maybe even mix in with the starters, that can stand there and knock down. He takes three or four three-pointers a game. It'd be nice if Shabazz Muhammad was that guy. Yeah. He's already on your roster. You're paying him. If he could play defense and knock down threes, but obviously he, he never plays and he can't do those things. Didn't he make a hard push for J.J. Redick? There were rumors about J.J. Redick. And then, so the timing but I of, thought they were in, wouldn't he, weren't they on his list? On Redick's list? Yeah. There, there, there were, no, 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 no. There was definitely some smoke there. Um, and, and, the, and the way that I remember the timeline, the, the Wolves had like two or three different balls in the air. They had to figure out when to trade Rubio, if yeah. they were going to trade Rubio. If they did, who's their point guard going to be? And then how much is that point guard going to cost? Yeah. And so I think their options in retrospect were Jeff Teague and then, yeah. and then you know, you know what other pieces. Right. <laughs> uh, or keep Rubio and then sign J.J. Redick, yeah. which, you know, again, I'm... I'm I'm down on Rubio. A lot of people are are saying that Rubio and Redick would have been a better mix for this team. I'm fine with Rubio off the roster. Jeff Teague with this particular collection and Jimmy fit, Butler, yeah. I think you needed someone who could stand there and knock down open three pointers from the wing, and that's what Teague does. But yeah. uh, Redick on this team would have been interesting. He yeah. did so as a one year deal, I think, with Philadelphia. He signed so he can move on to uh, somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, a guy like that who can just. When the double comes or Butler creates or Teague creates to just sit out there and make jumpers, that would be a nice component to have on this team. And I, I agree with Collar that I think that's the one thing they still need to address this offseason. And, and you can't do everything in one offseason. I mean, you look at how they remade this whole roster. Um, it, it's probably a little bit unrealistic to think you're going to get everything you want in one offseason. So I'm sure that's something they still want to address as they go forward. But just just a, a guy who scores six points a game and both of them are three-pointers in the third quarter. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Just that guy. They don't seem yeah. to have that guy. And, uh, you know, a good, a good point on Twitter that, you know, it's not so much that uh, Tyus has to play more minutes, which I would agree with. Um, it's just that now you have to play Aaron Brooks, who is still in the league, I discovered. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jamal Crawford at point guard is not yeah. really I- ideal either. And, yeah. and I think that's probably going to hurt them as well. And I would say just about about Tyus that, you know, I, I see why he's really well liked. But uh, I think the combination is is great to have he and Teague. I think that's really effective and probably the role is pretty good. And... I saw your stat yesterday, Phil, about Carl uh, Anthony Towns and where he is in the league and all those stats. And I feel like we almost have to admit now that uh, Tibbs probably does some right stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. For yeah, sure. Right? I mean, yeah. he, he's, just been, he's just been clubbed over the head on Twitter, or at least on my feed, like every night for yeah. since he was hired. Yeah. You know, and, the, my biggest pet peeve is when, is when people, I get the tweets all the time or the emails, why are you so hard on Wiggins but not on Carl Anthony Towns? Okay, yes, they both have some deficiencies. One of them is one of the top five or six yeah. most efficient, best offensive players in the league. Uh, that would be Towns, by the way, in case yeah. there was any <laughs> yeah. any uh, confusion. Yeah. And every night I see Wiggins take more shots than Towns. I just, I, it's like head slap. Yeah, okay, yeah. why why does this end? Uh, so at some point I think Towns should take about five more shots per game. But we're the fun thing is we're nitpicking should Jimmy Butler have pulled up from 21 feet to ice well, this yeah, game? Right, yeah. And should Towns get like three extra shots than Wiggins instead of, I was, holy, <laughs> holy crap, the Wolves are in the lottery for the 12th straight year? I was thinking the same thing. Like, years past, we're like... <laughs> You know, right, right. By this time of year, it's like a spring yeah. training starting yeah, yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pitcher and catcher's report, you know. Yeah. I, I would also say if Tibbs was named Mike D'Antoni, we'd be like, look at all this offense. Yeah. This yeah. offense is great. Yes. Yeah. But since he's a defensive guy, it's, oh, oh, where's your defense? Yeah. And, it, and it's been better the last month or so. Let's come back here. Chip Scoggins hanging out from the start to be Matthew Collar is in for Judd, who uh, his Michael Jordan flu game knocked him out for game six yesterday. He gave everything he had yesterday. Uh, Kyler from the Purple Podcast and 1500ESPN.com covers the Vikings. In fact, speaking of the Vikings, I want to run this by you guys when we come back. I've gone through the NFC playoff bracket, and I am 
7% sure there's only one team that will beat the Vikings, if anyone does, before the Super Bowl. Mackie and Judd. Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Bring it on! This is 1500 ESPN. It's a touchdown to Stephon Diggs. Deep down the middle, Adam Thielen running free in the secondary. They throw to Diggs. Is it a catch and is it in the end zone? Yes and yes. Bradford throws to the goal line. Touchdown, Kyle Rudolph. All right. Chip Scoggins is with us. That's right. Did you see our new coach? National championship game, baby. Yeah, it's great. See a defense when you shut down Clemson? That's it's great. It's coming to Knoxville. I'm sure it is. I'm surprised I'm anyone sure. agreed to coach Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Can he bring Nick Saban, too? <laughs> and those Alabama <laughs> defensive players? That's right. Because uh, that'd be great. Uh, Matthew <laughs> Collar's here from the Purple Podcast. Judd had to uh, tap out with a fever that was approaching 200 last night. <laughs> so hopefully he's alive for uh, for tomorrow's but show. Basically, he's not football enough. No, he's That's not. What well, we come away. With. How about Bill Belichick demanding that his players trudge through like five feet of snow to practice today? No excuses. There's a hotel in the area. Figure oh, really? it out. Oh wow. And he wanted to practice outside, but I did see that uh, Mike Reese from ESPN.com said he reluctantly moved practice inside <laughs> away from the blizzard. <laughs> Bill Belichick, man. That's George, uh, that's as football as it gets. Yeah. Um, I want to run this by you guys. You can, you can call me an idiot afterwards and spend the next 10 minutes doing so. But the NFC has a lot of really good established teams, a lot of uh, up-and-coming red-hot teams, the Sean McVay uh, Rams, etc., but I think by process of elimination, there's only one team the Vikings should truly fear in the NFC playoff bracket. And I've gone through the process of elimination. Mike Zimmer defense versus mm-hmm. these profiles or these exact quarterbacks the last couple of years. Let's start with Cam Newton. Collar and I kind of disagree a little bit on Cam Newton, but I think we can agree other than a 60-yard breakout run, Mike Zimmer in the three matchups defensively the last four years against Cam Newton has held him in check very much. Uh, Cam Newton... 13 of 25, a buck 37. He did have the 60-yard run that uh, iced the game for the Panthers. Uh, he threw three interceptions and was sacked eight times the game before that against a Mike Zimmer defense. And then he had an 18 for 35, 194 interception game the first time they met in Mike Zimmer's first year with the Vikings. Is that here? That game would be held. Uh, two of those games. The last two were there. Were at Carolina. The first one was, was here, was yeah, here on a okay. Thursday night, I want to say. Maybe not Thursday yeah, night, yeah. But, it was, yeah. but it was the Vikings uh, have handled Cam Newton. The other category of quarterbacks is a really interesting one when you dig into the numbers. It's quarterbacks in their first three years, the last two years against Mike Zimmer defenses, or backup caliber quarterbacks. So we're talking about Dak Prescott last year, Carson Wentz, uh, Jared Goff this year, Mm -hmm. and also like the Mitch Trubisky's, and I get that Mitch Trubisky's supporting cast, not nearly what Jared Goff's supporting cast is. But Mike Zimmer, the last two years, defensively, against first, second, or third-year quarterbacks and or backup quarterbacks. Here's the average game. 50% completions, 185 yards, less than one touchdown thrown, and close to two interceptions thrown on average. If you extrapolate those games to to, to 16 full games, those quarterbacks against Mike Zimmer defenses, 50% completions, 3,000 yards, 12 touchdowns, 18 picks, and almost 40 sacks. Now I get Jared, so Jared Goff, Nick Foles fall into that category. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm taking Cam Newton out, I'm taking Nick Foles and Jared Goff out, and that leaves the Falcons, and it leaves the Saints. And we already saw on the road what a Mike Zimmer defense did to that Falcons team. Mm-hmm. It, it was probably their most clunky performance of the year. Um, and then they would be coming to U.S. Bank Stadium yeah. for that game. And that leaves a Hall of Fame precision quarterback in Drew Brees, multifaceted offensive attack, um, I, it's an oversimplification because it's just a defense versus quarterbacks and profiles. But I think the Saints are the only team the Vikings should truly fear going into the playoffs. Yeah, I, until I, they meet the Patriots. Yeah, and I, I've said that all along that that they to me are the most dangerous just because of Breeze and how quick he gets the ball out. And so I think that would negate the pass rush. He's not going to get rattled. Probably. Um, you look at their their running game uh, is a lot more potent than we saw in week one. Uh, and they've got that figured out now that they don't have Peterson there and the defense is playing better. I still don't think it's obviously a great defense, but it's better than it was. And so, um, but to me, it would, it would come down just the breeze and that, um, you know, that he's a veteran who's seen just about everything. So 
I, I still like that defense. I still give the defense the edge in that, particularly uh, at U.S. Bank Stadium, uh, because that defense with that noise is a tough combination for anybody, but I think Breeze would handle it better than any other quarterback that's in the field. I do think that New Orleans' defense is better than uh, even maybe we give them credit for. Um, they're one of the best in terms of passer rating against. So their passing defense, which usually is what determines whether you win or lose in the playoffs. Running defense is kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. Some of the worst teams in the league have great running defenses. I think Cleveland was toward the top of the league. But usually you can almost sort by the passing defenses for who's going to be the best. And in terms of passer rating against, they're seventh in the NFL. And they have Marshawn Lattimore, who's turned out to be one of the best shutdown corners in the league. So that would scare me too that they have I think a legitimately good defense that can shut down the pass and Drew Brees will not get bothered by the noise he won't get bothered if you take away Elvin Kamara out of the backfield he'll find another way Uh, I don't think his wide receivers are maybe as good as they have been but Michael Thomas is one of the best in in the NFL so he's got weapons all over the place they have a good offensive line which they haven't always in the past where maybe they've had okay or not too bad but they have a legit good offensive line I think they are the most complete team but where I would divert in this conversation is with taking the Rams lightly because of Jared Goff because Jared Goff seems to be just the little puppet boy for Sean McVay that Sean McVay is basically controlling everything he does out there. And I think McVay is a legitimate genius. And when he was in Washington, the they they completely owned Mike Zimmer's defense two years ago. They were able to find ways to run the ball. They had creative plays. They created explosive plays. There was the touchdown pass to Vernon Davis mm-hmm. where he ran all the way across the field, which you would never see a tight end usually do because it normally takes too long, but he found a way to get Vernon Davis open deep. And he's got tape now for the whole season. He's got tape what Zimmer's defense did against them. And that would concern me a bit. 31-year-old guys just don't get jobs and turn around organizations usually every other year, right? I mean, this is this is a really special situation and a really, really impressive coach. And there's another guy that would scare me, too, with uh, Los Angeles. That's Aaron Charles Donald, sure. who I yeah. think might be the best player in the NFL that's not a quarterback. And facing him in a playoff game, as I mean, New Orleans defense is pretty good. They Nobody has this guy. He's the most dominant player in the middle in the entire NFL. Right. The one, the yeah. one thing I would say, uh, I, and again, like I, I'm not going to completely dismiss the Rams by any means, uh, but I think anything you could say about Sean McVay having access now to, I mean, the the, the one feather in Sean McVay's cap that you would apply here is they lost to the Seahawks early in the year. Now the Seahawks did have more pieces defensively in that early. I think Richard Sherman was healthy in that yeah. game, so it's a bit of a different Seahawks team. But to then go into Seattle after having taken your lumps mm-hmm. and learning your lesson the first time around and beating them into submission and maybe ending an era the way that they beat the Seahawks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Seahawks are, no, I mean, that was that was more than just a, oh, that's a big game for the Rams to win. Yeah. That was yeah. like, no, this is our division now, and Pete Carroll might retire. That, that was the talk after that game. And so the fact that Sean McVay does have access to that first game's film, and now he can go back and dissect what worked, what didn't, yeah. and then come back to U.S. Bank Stadium... But then I would play devil's advocate again and say Mike Zimmer has the same chance to go look and two weeks. And, and counter. There's some amazing chess matches here on the table. Like Mike Zimmer, Sean McVay could be an amazing chess match. And I've been saying this all week. Eventually, Mike Zimmer, Bill Belichick yeah. could be a super fun chess match. Well, I would say Mike Zimmer, Sean Payton, Drew Brees. That's sure. a heck, I oh mean, for sure. I mean, you see Brees try to you know go against that that defense and and the thing with Brees, I, I keep coming back to just how quick he gets the ball out mm-hmm. and so. He, you know, you'd wonder how much that would negate their pass rush, which so much is predicated on just collapsing the pocket and making the quarterback uncomfortable. I just don't know that you'd be able to do that consistently but with him. Don't you think, though, it's the Vikings defense has been so successful without gaudy turnover numbers and without gaudy yeah. sack numbers? It's, yeah, it's amazing. Like their yeah. ability to just play amazing, fundamentally sound, contained defense. Without getting, they don't have to sack you five times to, yeah. to beat you. They don't have to intercept you three times. They can just put you to sleep. And I do think. The sack total sometimes those get skewed because I think teams try to get it out quick yep. because they don't want to. They know they can't sit back there, you know, seven step drops and just, you know, wait for plays to develop down the field. They're, you know, the, the pass rush is so good and and so quick that they they just say we got to negate that and get it out of their hands quick. So sometimes the sack numbers, I, I think maybe we get caught up in that too much that oh yep. they're not getting to the quarterback. Well, it's more about 
Are you making him get out of his hand quick? And then they can't really throw the ball down the field. And Trey Waynes and Xavier Rose and Anthony Barr are really good tacklers. And mm-hmm. so you're keeping everything short. And uh, let's see, Everson Griffin, Daniil Hunter, and Tom Johnson all at the top of their position for quarterback pressures. Too. Yeah. So it's more of disrupting than just sacking. Yeah, correct. Um, and they do such a great job of shutting down running backs out of the backfield that you would match them up with anyone. There isn't anybody who could just flick a little screen pass to the running back and then get 20 or 30 yards. This year, they were number one in the league against other running backs in the passing game, which gives them an advantage over all these teams. And the Rams, they throw it to Gurley a lot. He averages 12 yards a catch. I mean, they're throwing it to him all the time. That's outrageous for a running back. I mean, that's better than a lot of wide receivers. So, I mean, if you could shut that down and force Goff to make real big-time throws, then that's that's where it's going to get really tough for him. And Jeff that, Fisher takes full credit for that, too, by the <laughs> yeah, way. Sure, yeah, of course this, yeah. he does. That would be the only thing that would scare you about Cam Newton is that he can make throws that you can't defend. No matter what you do, he, he was doing it against Atlanta. They didn't play well. They lost. But there's five or six throws. I went back and, and watched that game on tape. Five or six throws where you're like, what? I mean, yeah. the... the I mean, the, the, he makes a throw in the Vikings game to Devin Funches, who's their the touchdown best. touchdown pass? Is that, is that the it, one he's scrambling Not on? the touchdown pass, but it was one that got them down to like the two-yard line where Xavier Rhodes is yeah. right on top of him. He throws it laser beam back shoulder, and he catches it, and you're like, well, what? Yeah. what is anyone supposed to do against that? And then his legs go along with that. They have too many weaknesses, I think, Carolina. I mean, they don't run the ball very well in general. Their defense is okay, but they're also... Uh, like 20th in terms of quarterback rating against. But even more than Drew Brees, I feel like you could totally outplay Cam Newton. You could totally beat him. And then he would just do something that is not from reality and and somehow pull it out. I mean, like the 62-yard run at Carolina was an example of that. It's it's a perfect example. Like until that point, he had a a nice throw that you're talking about, had a touchdown pass. Other than that, it was... it was a great touchdown. You know, he just busts a 62-yard run and the game is over. And that's why I come back. I mean, this NFC field is so strong and you can make an argument on all these teams and like, wow, this, this part of their team is really, really good. And that's why I keep coming back to how important that home field advantage was this year. That if you were saying you got to go to Los Angeles to play, or you got to go to New Orleans and play, or back to Carolina, the conversation might be. I think you still have confidence, obviously, in the Vikings, but just having that home field advantage for them, which they're really good at, and the crowd noise, and you can look at the false start and procedure penalties that the other teams have. Um, I, I just think it's maybe more so than other years that I can remember that vital to have that game here. Is that so you've covered games in the Metrodome and you well, co- the, you covered the 09 season. Yeah, that, and, that, and that, that was an game. amazing home field advantage for I mean it was it's always been a good home field advantage especially late 90s into the 2000s. Is this a better home field advantage? I would say on par. And I, I did it. I talked to the Vikings the um cuz I I go back to that that 09 Dallas game. That Noise affected him. It oh, Tony Romo, did. yeah, it absolutely That's as flustered affected as you've him. ever seen Tony I mean, Romo in a big game. And you saw and the he's way, been flustered in big games. Yeah, and you saw the way Jared Allen got off the line on that, and the defense just it just suffocated him, and they just Dallas just looked completely overwhelmed by it. And so, but I asked a couple weeks ago, I asked uh, the Vikings, and they measured the decibel level, and their the game, the Los Angeles, the Rams game here, regular season game, what a month ago was slightly louder than that Dallas game. So it was basically the same, 118 or 119 decibel level. So you're talking about a regular season game versus that playoff game, and it's, it's you know, similar. And there, so, goes, there goes the draft pick for next year, pumping artificial noise in again. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Yep. I don't, um, so I think it, 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 you, you've noticed that time. The Rams game <coughs> I thought was the loudest. Um, and I, I, I can't wait to see what it's going to be like for that first playoff game because I'm sure yeah, it's going to be louder. And, and that's where you'd want... Drew Brees way over Jared Goff is I think that uh, especially since that story came out about Sean McVay waiting till the very last second to send in the play so he can see what the other defense is starting to line up but it was pretty clear that Mike Zimmer knew that and Harrison Smith knew that and they messed with Goff all day oh look we're gonna line up this way no we're not <laughs> it, it was there was just this waiting game mm-hmm. this sort of like a game of chicken where it was like oh oh Okay, and now we're going to set up, and they messed with Goff's head through the entire game, though they might prepare for that this time, and he might be able to handle it 
uh, a little better. Doesn't it drive you crazy that you're not playing the Titans, though? I mean, right? Like, <laughs> That's right, yeah. Isn't it ridiculous the way that this whole thing is set up? That it's the NFL. It's not like there's travel problems or anything like that. If you go 13 and three, you should play whoever the worst two teams that come out of there. It should yeah. be, you should be talking about, hey, are we going to play the Bills or the Titans and beat their faces yeah. in? I mean, it is like the Patriots, yeah. the Patriots and the Steelers. And this, so the Steelers are going to wind, they rested their players in week 17. They're going to wind up basically getting a month's worth of bye games until yeah. they eventually play the Patriots in the AFC Championship. I mean, is there any justification for no. still doing it this way? The fact that you might have to play the Rams in your first game, or you might have to play the Saints. You're saying get rid of conferences and just have a have, have the, a bracket. the best twelve teams, or I mean, schedule already plays a huge role in how good you end up being for the whole season, how good all your stats end up being. I was uh, writing yesterday about Pat Elfline and how his PFF grade is really bad this year, but he also faced 11 of the top 20 defensive tackles in the NFL by their grades. So, like, yeah, he had a great year, yeah. but he played unbelievable players on the other side, and occasionally you sure. get beat. And that's the inflation with, like, the Jaguars' defense is really good, but go through the Jaguars' schedule— like so, the, what did the Jaguars figure uh, finish? Eleven and five. Mm-hmm. I want to say the record was that's a nine and seven team with a pretty darn good defense that went eleven and five because they wound really up playing played. their yeah. teams in their own division and uh, and the other you know bottom feeding teams in the AFC. Yeah, oh, that's, AFC. Does anyone really expect anything other than Steelers at Patriots? I mean, that's what it's going to be. For a while, I thought you know what? Up until like a month ago, I thought Jacksonville could punch Tom Brady in the mouth. And they already did force yeah. five interceptions from Big Ben early in the season. But if you're talking about going on the road yeah. and you're going against Hall of Fame quarterbacks and it's Blake Bortles, there's <laughs> yeah. there's a pretty look. Let's come back and keep yeah. the Vikings talk going. Uh, one thing Collar brought up yesterday we should dive into here. It feels like we're all a little bit in wait-and-see mode still with Case Keenum. Let's see how he performs in the playoffs. How much will his postseason performance Factor in for what you think about Case long-term as a potential Viking starting quarterback. Mackey and Judd, Matthew Collar, Chip Scoggins hanging out. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. No, ma'am, we do not have a sense of humor we're aware of. May we come in? Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Want to win a 55-inch TCL Roku TV? Join Rookie at Shamrocks in St. Paul, 6 to 8 p.m. this coming Monday the 8th for the ultimate college football viewing party with Dos Equis. Enjoy an ice-cold one and register to win. That brand new TV put game day over everything all throughout college football season, including the night of the national championship game with Dos Equis, the official beer sponsor of the college football playoffs. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Their defense at home has only given up 12 points per game, best in the NFL. They've only given up eight touchdowns at home, fewest in the NFL. They're only giving up 240 yards Good per numbers. Game. Fewest in the NFL. I don't think anybody can beat the Vikings in Minnesota. Peter Schrager is all in on he's, the Vikings he's all school. In, yeah, for sure. He is uh, he's wearing purple nipple tassels <laughs> on Good Morning Football yesterday morning. Um, Matthew Collar's in with us, speaking of purple nipple tassels. And uh, Chip Scoggins from very, the Star Tribune. Very descriptive. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it does feel like, I mean, there's a certain segment of fans that are, you know, lock Case Keenum up for five years and throw away the, the key to the, you know, it's guarantee him whatever he wants. Then there's another chunk of fans that I think, and this is where I stand a little bit, I want to see more. I'm not going to base everything off of a postseason game, yeah. but I'm year-to-year with a Case Keenum. It's He's a very circumstantial quarterback, and Pat Shermer plays a large role in that. Will he take another job somewhere else? How much will the postseason affect your perception of Case Keenum? Well, one, they're not going to be able to be year-to-year. and It's either yes or no, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... It can't be. Hey, can you sign this one-year contract to see if you're really that I good? I mean, could you, you could franchise him? I guess if <laughs> you, you wanted could, to, yeah. right? Um, no, I, I, yeah, it's it's tricky because you don't want to just uh, base everything off one playoff game. Let, let's say you know he has a poor game or whatever, and, and they lose. Um, are you going to be willing to just not remember everything he did all year to get you to that point. I, I don't think that that's necessary. I mean, Brian Hoyer, in fairness, Brian Hoyer put up very good numbers with the Texans a couple years ago and then threw like four of the worst interceptions yeah. you could ever throw to yeah. wipe out all of the goodwill the, he, all the goodwill, you know, he yeah. built up through that season. Yeah, and that's, you know, that would be for a lot of people. I guarantee you that they would say, well, we knew this was coming. We told you this was going to happen. Um, no, I, I think... Uh, you know, it all comes out. What's his price tag? What's you know, 
all that, but I, I think he deserves uh, a contract moving forward in terms of, you know, you, you don't know what you're going to have from Bridgewater. You don't, I think Bradford's probably out of the picture at this point, personally. I mean, I don't know how you could really count on a guy who's had, what, three surgeries on one knee now at this point. I just don't, I feel bad for the guy. It's tough that you he's had to go through this and his career has been um, affected by it, but I, I just don't know that he would be in my plans. And so um, I don't think I would necessarily say, okay, Keenum's future with us depends on what happens now. Uh, I would say that if you don't know by now whether you're going to have him as your quarterback next year, that's really problematic. Yes. Because of what you said, you'd have to franchise him, but then franchising him means just backing up a dump truck of money for him and eating up a... I mean, it's... What would the franchise tag for a quarterback be? It's got to like be a 20, 25 million or something. 25 million yeah. probably, it's, right? It's in that range, yeah. Especially because of the uh, huge contracts that got handed out to Matt Stafford and, and Derek Carr. It's an and, average of the top five at your position, yeah, right? right? right. Yeah. So you're so, talking about yeah. insane money. I mean, only for a year, and you get a year to evaluate him, and that's exactly what Washington has done. But at the same time, Washington's defense has been bad for quite some time. And, you know, maybe they haven't stacked up at some positions that they could have or should have because they're just paying this gigantic salary cap hit to one guy and maybe the Vikings don't want to do that especially since they're going to look to sign some contract extensions or maybe bring in some other free agents they do have a ton of cap room so it is a possibility that they could do that I don't know if they want to though the the one thing that uh I don't know if it makes me nervous but give me pause is just if you lose Shermer how does yep. this affect yep. the whole thing because it, uh, Keenum and Shermer has just been a fantastic team, and Shermer has brought the best out of him, and he's fit this offense not only for him, but just his whole every player has crafted this offense. Uh, you know, put in plays that uh, highlight player strengths, mm-hmm. and so he's flourished in this. And so that was that would be the one thing where I would say, boy, how much? And I'm not saying that he's a total creation of Pat Shermer. That's not fair to Keenan either, because he, I mean, how many? Plays as he made off broken plays where he's scrambling, keeping things alive, throwing. So right, but Shermer was pointing at the open yeah, yeah, routes on yeah, the sideline. Right, 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 yeah, and so I don't think that's completely fair to Keenum. But he's had his best year of his career with with Pat Shermer, who's done a, a fantastic job playing on. So if you lose him to a head coaching job, that's the one thing where you you don't know. That's the unknown. Yeah, you br- and so you have to factor that in. Right. You bring up the Shermer factor. Uh, I saw this yesterday on Twitter. One of the the prominent sports books in Las Vegas has the Bears. Uh, odds to land each coach, and Pat Shermer is the favorite to to go to the Bears. If I if I have my cho- of the four teams that are going to be interviewing Pat Shermer this week, I think starting today actually today and tomorrow these interviews and Saturday take place. Correct. So Giants, Cardinals, and then two teams in the division: Bears and Lions. Matthew Stafford in his prime and the weapons you get offensively there, and that team at worst the last four years has been a seven win team in a vacuum. I would be intrigued by the Matthew Stafford factor, but then you look at divisions. I wouldn't take the Cardinals' job because good luck against Russell Wilson, the Rams, and now Garoppolo and what they have building with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. But then you look at this division and you say, all right, well, the Vikings aren't going to go away the next few years. They still have great defensive pieces in their prime. you got Thielen and Diggs. You can plug and play almost any quarterback and be competent at worst. The Packers have Aaron Rodgers for three or four more years. So you're still kind of third in line in that division too, mm-hmm. but um, but if you're Pat Shermer and you're looking at those teams, we'll start with Collar on this one. How would you sort of rank them if you had your choice? And all four teams said, "Oh my God, we'll give you millions of dollars to be our coach." I might want to go to the New York Giants if I was uh, Pat Shermer because I'm going to get to draft Josh Rosen number two overall. More likely than not, mm-hmm. I think if Cleveland drafts him, he's kind of a prima donna guy, which is fine with me, but. You know, he'd be the guy to do that, to say, no, I'm not playing for you. Trade me to the Giants. I think that's where he ends up. I think Cleveland probably takes Sam Darnold number one. So if you get the number two overall quarterback to start with, they have a really talented defense that's mm-hmm. pretty, that's still pretty stacked up. And what are they missing? It's just the offensive line. And the Vikings show this year that if you're savvy, you can rebuild that offensive line enough and then you could start to take off. They need a running game. They've got great wide receivers. I mean, especially you get to start with a top three wide receiver in the entire league in Odell Beckham and a number two overall quarterback and a defense. If I were Shermer, I'd be like, great. And plus, the expectations were sunk into the tank after this year. So even if you won just nine games, people would be like, yeah, Pat Shermer, you did great. If you're the Lions, you win nine games. They're expecting you to get over the top. Plus, I mean, their offense hasn't been the problem. And they might want to keep their offensive coordinator around because they ranked seventh this year in scoring. 
So they should look for a defensive type of guy. I do like the Bears situation, but like you said, the NFC North would make that really tough. Yeah, it, you know, working with Trubisky and, and seeing if you can mold a young quarterback, but you would get that if you're with the Giants because you're going to draft one. Um, I think I would probably look at ownership too and just how solid that is and, and just the history. I mean, you look at the Lions, it's like, wow. I mean, there, there's something wrong when you're constantly losing there. And yeah, I know Jim Caldwell did a good job in terms of reestablishing them and making them a credible, uh, you know, organization again and a, and a playoff team. Um, the Bears, I just think, boy, they've got a lot of work to do to kind of repair where defensively they're not far off from being a you know a really really good defense if you can figure out the uh, if if Trubisky is a franchise type uh, quarterback. I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss the Cardinals. And um, man, that scares me. You Larry, know, Larry Fitz is old. Carson Palmer. They do retired. have some old pieces. You're but not going to draft a top five. You're not going to draft one of the first four quarterbacks. But I, I think they have good ownership there. And um, I don't know. I just wouldn't look at that as a a place where you're like, you know what, we're finishing third every. I mean, who knows if if the Seahawks are, you know, I know you have Russell Wilson, but they may go through a transition phase here too. And yeah, the Rams they look stacked in that court, and that coach is great, and you have Goff, and so I think I don't think this is going to be a flash in the pan for them. I think they're going to be a team that's you know good for a long time. So um, it's not like any of these are the Browns. You know, you're not like. This is this he even talk about that is, in these meetings. Like, does Pat Shermer even? Uh, what about your two years with the Browns? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, look, he yeah, won yeah, nine yeah, games. Right, yeah. He won nine games there, right? I mean, yeah, that's right. Right. I'm the yeah, best yeah. coach of all time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, right. that's, uh, that's a feather in his cap. The hottest take I could come up with, but I believe in it, is that I would like to take the Cleveland Browns job. Now, their ownership is a disaster, but so is Jim Irsay, and they've turned their franchise around when they have Andrew Luck playing. They're going to draft the number one overall quarterback. I think they've got, if Joe Thomas, assuming he doesn't retire or anything, they've got one of the best lines in the league. They've got running backs who can play. They've got defensive players who they've drafted high. Miles Garrett is going to be one of the top five players at his position, I think. I think he is unbelievably good already. And all you need is to draft whatever, whoever the top wide receiver is. And it's not easy to find great wide receivers, but draft the top wide receiver, find someone in free agency who's halfway decent, and then you could start to take off with that organization. So long as the owner doesn't fire you one year yeah. in, right? Well, thing, like, but I don't think but, it's the worst job out there to take from a roster standpoint and the fact that you're going to add a top overall quarterback. That's the thing that the Browns have not done since Tim Couch. Yeah. They've continued to be like, no, 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 we'll get a guy with 23rd overall, yeah. right? I mean, we played that game here with Christian Ponder. When you're drafting the fourth or fifth quarterback off yeah. the board and then just hoping that guy's your franchise guy nope. because yeah. he was good at Notre Dame, that's not really <laughs> which is yeah, a, a good model. As a Golden Domer fan, yeah. that's pretty much every Notre yeah, Dame quarterback the yeah. last 40 years. Don't, yeah, don't take, Montana. Yeah, d- bypass on Deshaun Watson, right? And, and the, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, the thing about the Browns job is if you win, if you do anything, you're a hero. If you lose, but then you're going to ask the Browns. But then yeah. you win five games, you're a hero for a minute, then you get fired the next year exactly. when you only win five again. I know. I, actually, to Kyler's point, I did a study on this for 1500ESPN.com like four years ago. Um, it might have been it might have been before, it was right around the Ponder draft, so 2011, mm-hmm. a long time ago. And if you look at, just since the Peyton, since the Peyton Manning draft, if you look at first quarterback off the board, second, third, fourth, and then fifth quarterback off the board or later, the correlation to success, it's 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 a line that goes straight diagonal across the board. It's like seventy five percent of the first quarterbacks off the board are franchise guys or mm-hmm. successful, and then it drops to like fifty fifty for the second guy, and then it's like thirty three percent for the third guy. And once you get to like the fourth, fifth, and then later yeah, on, yeah. people say, "Well, what about Russell Wilson and Tom Brady?" Outliers. That's it. Yeah, they're outliers. Yeah, because yeah. I could right. give you 17 Ryan Lindleys yeah. and another 19 John David Booties. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, so if you're gonna if you're gonna draft the fourth quarterback off the board, if it's Baker Mayfield and you're drafting tenth, you're probably picking a non-franchise quarterback. So yeah. just be aware. So of if that. I'm a coach, I always want someone who's drafting that number one or number two. Yeah, I mean with uh, Philadelphia, Doug Peterson takes over and he gets Wentz in his first year. And Wentz in his first year is rocky, and it's not that great. And then in his second year, he gets it together, just like Jared Goff gets it together. You inherit one of those guys, you've got a great chance of being, look what a genius coach I am, because yeah. I had this top overall draft pick quarterback, and I turned around an organization. The The issue I might have if I was going to Arizona is, 
who is that going to who is that going to yeah. be? And if I'm if I've got options as a potential head coaching candidate, I am going only where I am sure I know what's going on at quarterback. And maybe actually at the number one, they I don't think they've expressed interest, but number one for me might be Indianapolis. If if, yeah, if you can get if Andrew Luck, Andrew is, Luck yes. is healthy, yeah. I will go right there and be yes. Andrew Luck's head coach. And someone like Shermer is exactly who he needs. I yeah. Think. Yes. Let's come back here. Chip Scoggins hanging out with us. Matthew Collar in for Judd today from the Purple Podcast and 1500ESPN.com. The Gophers played last night and they looked amazing for like the first eight or nine minutes and then things got stagnant. I was at the game. Let's talk to Chip about that here too. And uh, Jerome Bettis will join us at the top of the hour. Hall of Famer Jerome Bettis. Mackie and Judd now continue. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mason the long and it went down for coffee. I thought Reggie Lynch was terrific. You know, that was his toughest game. Um, and obviously Jordan Murphy, Nate Mason, even Dupree, I thought, if he made a couple of shots, played terrific in the mirror as well. So uh, we battled, uh, we defended, uh, rebounded certainly, and uh, did a lot of great things. So really, really happy with the nice home win. We needed it. You mentioned the defense. Maybe to get us off the bubble, Chad. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, boys, here's the, pro- here's the problem. It's hard to play 40 minutes of basketball in a power conference when you have five players. Uh, I love that uh, Patino just named a starting five in terms of played well. <laughs> that's all they have. I mean, that's it. That's it, it yeah. In fact, their bench last night, and Chip's hanging out with us from the Star Tribune, and Matthew Collar's in for Judd today. Uh, Jerome Bettis in 10 minutes, the legendary Hall of Famer Jerome Bettis. The Gophers bench last night, and this is par for the course, mm-hmm. gave you 20 minutes. That's it. Just 20 minutes. Combined. Combined. Yeah. Like four guys. <laughs> One of five shooting, four points, four rebounds, no assists, four turnovers, and four fouls. Yeah. So they had as many turnovers and fouls as anything else yeah. in the game last night. Well, and that's, you know, that that Curry injury, it really just affected uh, the depth of this team. And I mean, stating the obvious, and I think as they move along, um, they've got to figure out. I mean, I, I thought actually thought Hurt had the last two weeks pretty good um, contributions. I mean, he was moving the ball when he came in. Uh, the offense kind of flowed because he he did look for the extra pass. And but you know, when you get in Big Ten games, coaches go with what they trust. I mean, it's just it's great and everything in non-conference when you're playing lesser foes and you can kind of play more people, but when you get in Big Ten games and it's tougher and it's scores are going to be closer, coaches go with who they trust. And it, it'll be interesting to see if if he can somehow figure out, you know, get Washington playing where he's not just jacking up shots. And, and he dribbles the clock for 20 seconds yeah, and then gets trapped and then can't I, I, figure it out. I went to the game last week and I wrote about him and uh, the Harvard game and he does some nice things. But then there's also those spurts where you're like, Ey. I mean, it's just some of his shot selection. He, you know, he was shooting 13 percent from threes coming into the game and he's, you know, full speed on a fast break. He pulls up and shoots a pull up three in transition. It's like, wow. Not sure that's exactly what they're looking for. No, it's, um, I think if you could just, I think sometimes these kids come in. First of all, freshman point guards, even if they're super talented, he's Mr. Basketball in New York. Yeah, they can't figure out how to break a big time trap. Yeah, like a half court trap, and it's and he's skilled and talented enough. It's not like he can't dribble out of it or figure out who to pass to. But they just get so flustered. Yeah, and he's in that boat right now. And here's the thing: their starting five is really good. Just the starting five alone is going to be enough to win. Yeah, they're up a seventeen lot of games. to two to start the game. Yeah, last their, night. their starting five is good, and so how far can they take him? Because I'm just not sure you're ever going to get. I, I thought maybe Fitzgerald would give him something. It's clear he's not going to give him a whole lot because he's had fourteen knee surgeries. Yeah, it's just. He, and Patino mentioned it last week. He's just he has confidence issues with that knee, and just hey, can I do this? And he probably doesn't move as well as he used to. So I just I'm not. Here's all you need to know about the state of the Gophers bench. So I was at Williams Arena last night. We were hosting a suite, 1500 ESPN, for uh, part of our Courage Kenny auction from late last year. Mm. Bakari Kanate comes in, and I'm not going to pick on college kids here, yeah. but he comes in and he grabs a rebound and blocks a shot. And goes out of the game like five minutes later and gets a standing ovation on his way back to the bench when they announced his name. Like, oh my God, he grabbed a rebound. Yeah. He blocked the shot. Everybody get up and clap. And, you know, so far it hasn't come back to bite him uh, necessarily. I mean, the Miami loss, you know, he had Dupree was out. And so I think maybe they win that game. But, you know, Lynch has done a good job of avoiding foul trouble. Has he fouled out this year? 
Remember, that was a, a constant theme last year. And I, yeah, don't I don't know if he's, he's fouled out, but out. he's definitely had a few games where, but all he's, right, he's got three fouls, you got to take him out early. But he's done a much better job of avoiding foul trouble. And so that's that's great. And so you can get away with him playing more minutes now. The problem is if you get an injury or you get an illness or you get foul trouble and you're in a you know in the Big Ten now, there's no – these are not easy games. I mean, what are you going to – how are you going to survive that? And so – but they're – you know – Maybe not as good as we thought they were at the beginning of the season. Obviously, losing Curry hurt, but that starting five still really good. Yeah, I mean they they'll win games with that with that crew for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Like that place was that place was fun last night, but I still think like when people rave about the barn, I th- I think it's a Minnesota sports energy issue. I don't know if Collar notices this, but instead of like when the they're up by they're up seventeen to two last night, mm-hmm. and this happens in other sporting venues in this town too. And then the game kind of starts to wane a little bit. It's early second half, and now the lead's down to four, and the Gophers get it to nine. And instead of fans being rowdy and excited like they were when it was 17-2, to two, now they're just expecting the game to be blown. Yeah. And so you had two-thirds of the crowd just sitting there silently until the game was over. The students are all dressed up like barn animals, yeah. and so they're going crazy. Was the students, is school back in session yet? There um, was it. Was I don't think it is traditionally. The, I don't think it was is. Was the yet. student section full? It wasn't Could, packed to the rafters. Yeah, because there were like four Harvard. four kids dressed as pigs and cows, yeah. and that was pretty much it. Yeah, I mean it's um, you know when you've been in there when it's rocking and there's nothing better in town. I think when that place is full throat, but it's not always full. There's throat. still a lot of nervous energy. Yeah, but that's yeah. a. I think that's a Minnesota sports yeah, issue. That's probably just you know we our, just need to need that one championship to make us feel good. <laughs> that's that right, slump buster, and yeah, uh, we'll be good to go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Go for basketball. It's, I think I, my expectation after watching the first few games was, holy cow, this might be like a final four good team. And now get to the tournament. Maybe you can win. A, I don't know. My expectations have changed a lot in the last couple of weeks. Well, I just think the depth issue, I think at some point might catch up with them. Um, but, uh, there, I mean, I still think they can be a second weekend team. I do. Cause I just think they have enough good starters that they can get to the second week. I don't think they're a final four team, but I think they can be a second weekend team. Uh, I, I took a picture of the banners last night. So our, our suite living the sweet life last night was yeah. right where the go for basketball banners are. And they had, so literally like right above our suite was the 1990 <laughs> elite eight and then skips to the 2013 <laughs> third round banner. What which is, like, uh, what is missing here? Erases yeah. all of the late nineties, but then like third round, are we still calling it that? The third yeah. round. No, you win a game, you're in the you're second, second round. round. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for coming in, Chip. Yeah, thanks Good for stuff. Chip yep. Scott can start to be you. Matthew Collar's hanging out from the Purple Podcast. Uh, Jerome Bettis, uh, programming note, bumped to 10-15. So Jerome Bettis will join us in about uh, 20 minutes or so. So we'll get his thoughts on the Vikings. And he's going to be in town for Super Bowl week here in a few weeks, too, in the Twin Cities. Let's come back. I saw Collar debating with people on Twitter last night. Harrison Smith one of the more unheralded star players in the NFL, and some good cross-sport comparisons to Harrison Smith. Mackie and Judd.